All right, well, let's uh, let's make some podcast magic. Hello, everyone. My name is Lee Stoller, and I'm the president of El Matador Supporters Group. Third Degree of the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. It's a new era at FC Dallas, and the new FC Dallas Crescendo Kit has dropped at Soccer 90. The hoops are indeed back. Shop the entire collection for all your tees, scarves, and FC Dallas gear. And remember, Third Degree listeners receive a 20% off your purchase when you use the code ThirdDegree at checkout on Soccer90.com. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another fun-filled episode number... 151. A third degree of the podcast. Hi, it's me, Pete. And with me, probably drowning his sorrows in an FA Cup defeat. Dan, your hatters were mighty, mighty today. Just a little short against mighty Ruski Chelsea. Sorry about that, bud. That's all right. We'll win the playoffs and then beat them next year in the league. Little did I know that your twin brother who just doesn't have a beard, is actually the Hatter's mascot. That's amazing. I actually know the guy who does the mascot and we don't look alike. The mask? No, no, not the guy in the costume. The mascot looks just like you without a beard. It absolutely does not. Oh, okay, excuse me while I Photoshop something together for somebody And now I understand (laughs) that we found the pod art for today. (laughs) But I do not look like Happy Harry. <laughs> Who else, other than somebody related to Dan Crook, would flip off the opposing fans? Everyone. Fair? Fair? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. And uh, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, except FC Dallas. It's amazing, Buzz Carrot. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. You'll forgive me. I'm currently Googling the Luton Town mascot because I had never seen him before. <laughs> when you open that up, and Ooh, there's, a, yeah. there's actually a video of him at the Chelsea game uh, kind of pointing at the fans and stuff walking by the goal. And I thought as soon as I saw that, I went, holy crap, man, kind of looks like Dan without a beard and a funny hat on. Yeah. They even have a female compatriot, apparently, oh. that goes with it. Is that like Mrs. Dan Crook? No. You didn't say that very confidently. <laughs> I'm just amused at the whole thing. Well, yes, let's talk about let's talk about FC Dallas. Okay, hold on. But before before we do, uh, my favorite part of the Hatter's mascot costume is the fact that the arms are real arms with like short sleeves, and they've got like puffy fat arms with fat hands as part of the costume. It's not like the person's regular arms sticking out of the shirt. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, big puffy arms. That 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 seems to change depending on whether he's hot or cold. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it was an entertaining game. Sorry, your guys lost. Um, that was a, a good battle uh, for for Luton Town. So, and it makes right, me want to go. That's our, our first six points in the Premier League. We we won't beat anyone else, but we'll do that. <laughs> well, I uh, it makes me want to go to that stadium all the more because that looks like a great place to watch a football game. Yeah. It's very cool. It won't be around for much longer, unfortunately. All right. Well, let's get to the business at hand. Enough small talk. Enough Luton Town talk. Uh, I am sad to report, Buzz, that the good guys in their opener 
ended up with a 1-1 draw that frankly feels a little bit more like a loss than a draw for the good guys. Yeah, particularly when you consider that um, Toronto was not a very good team last year. You know, they've certainly made a whole lot of changes. Don't get me wrong. Um, You know, they have a better coach, presumably. So, you know, you expect them to be better. But, you know, when you're at home, you're supposed to win, right? Win at home, tie on the road. So particularly when you play a team that you don't expect to be at the top of the Eastern Conference. So it's a bad result in that sense. And we'll talk about the schedule later. And it really matters that they didn't get the full three points at home. Um, They had you know, not as much possession as we kind of would have expected coming in, but they had a fair amount of opportunities from the amount of possession they had. If they'd had higher possession, you would have expected more, of course. But, um, you know, I think 13 shots it was off of like 47% possession is not horrible. It's not great either. It's a good ratio. It's not a good, not a good performance really that we expected. You know, uh, I, I think there are lots of things to work on with this team going forward, and I'm sure we'll break down some of them today here in the, the podcast. Anybody else concerned that I'm going to be right on who the leading goal scorer is going to be for this club? <laughs> no, I think, yeah, you're, you're shot. I mean, it's game one, but your shot is looking pretty good. I mean, he definitely had by far the most opportunities and, and created a whole lot of shot chances too. So, Okay, but at the same time, can we also be honest that both things can be true, that he created a bunch of chances and he largely was a big problem uh, yeah. uh, in many other ways for his own team? Uh, okay. I. I don't think it was – I'm sure Dan will cheer him in here too. I don't think it's as bad as it was beginning of last year. He was about actually equal with Ariola, I thought, in terms of chances created. Ariola was better, obviously, and was the man of the match. But, um, you know, that if you got that from O'Brien every game a whole year, that will be fine. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think you just kind of need a little bit of polish on it. That, uh, that pass that Ferreira uh, flicked on that ended up being uh, offside – you know, if that pass is in the right place, that's, you know, uh, Ariola scoring. There was a couple of times aboard when he ran to the center, a ball would come from wide and he kind of weirdly flicked it out of the way rather than letting it run through to whoever the player on the wing was. Um, yeah, just he kind of didn't seem to be able to read the game very well and read what his team were doing. Yeah, I, you know, I, it's better than the original Obreon. It's just not what I think is good enough, but that's okay because yeah. the new guy's here, and I guess we don't have to worry about it too much. So, Buzz, let's let I, I do want to focus first on what it, you know. All right, Obreon scored. I'm going to end up being right, rah rah. But let's talk about the other good stuff in the game first. And the first one to me, and the most obvious and uh, clear uh, shining star out of that game was uh, Farfan. I, he's really, really good, and I think he's going to be fantastic in this role. And as much as I miss Ryan, because Ryan Hollingshead was a cool guy to have on the team, I think that's going to end up being a good move for these uh, for, for Miko. Yeah, you're going to miss Ryan's scoring uh, punch, but I think there's enough replacements in wing scoring to solve that problem. Um, Farfan is a much better fit for the way this coach wants to play. Um, this coach is not using the full-blown Brian Reynolds uh, modern flying outside back. This this coach is using, um, you know, not pure defensive either. It's a little bit in between. And Farfan's a really good fit for that. He's defensively much better than Ryan. No offense to Ryan. But he's not nearly as good offensively. Um, but, but he is a very competent player. And honestly, I thought he actually made up for a lot of the mistakes that Martinez made in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it kept sort of the, you know, the, the whole back line was pretty... Decent. You know, there, there was a flood that led to the Toronto goal. It wasn't necessarily something that the back four or the keeper did. 
you know, so uh, I don't I don't have a whole lot of complaints about the back line. And Farfan was one of the best players in the defense the whole day. All right, Dan, since you were the one who um, had the most concerns or at least expressed the most hesitation about one Pauly Nips, how are you feeling about the new dude now? Yeah, I've seen him have a couple of good games now. I'm really happy. <laughs> no, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I hadn't really got to see too much of his game and uh, like what I'm seeing, he, you know, he's he's come in and taken this uh, sort of leadership role of translating Nico's vision to the other players, which, um, I mean, to be able to just come into a brand new team and kind of take a, a leadership role is, I think, you know, a, a great sign. Uh, really making it happen on the field, getting back well, get you know anytime they're switching, or uh, either vertically or horizontally, or even that kind of weird little three-way switch they do uh, with Jesus. I think you know positionally he's right on where he needs to be. Definitely the most tactically astute of the three. Buzz, you happy with uh, Paul's performance? Oh, oh yeah, no question. Yeah, and leadership. Uh, yeah, it's all there. I, I, I am pleased that um, to be wrong that they that Matt Hedges has been captain. I do think that if Hedges is missing for a game or subs out, that Ariel likely would be captain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the stuff he's done off field is just as important as on field. The fact that he called um, uh, Alan Velasco on his own without any instruction from the coach, you know, before the kid even got here, just to sort of lay groundwork with him. And and you can already see him in training and and from both my own observation, but also the stuff the team's putting out. He's taken a big role in sort of the chemistry of this club and the glue of this club. And and that's as important as the performance on the field, which I thought was perfectly good. I think he had four key passes. Four key passes is a pretty remarkable performance, even if they don't result in actual goals. I mean, that's three or four is a really good game. So um, there's no question he was outstanding. Okay, I want to save um, Jesus and the middle three uh, for last. So let's go back to the back line, and let's talk a little bit about Hedges and Martinez and what you guys thought about that particular game. Because to your point, Buzz, the, the, you know, the goal wasn't necessarily anybody on the back line's fault, but how did you feel about their performance uh, um, you know, throughout the entire 90 minutes? Yeah, as a duo, they're they're perfectly fine um, because, I, as I said, Farfan covers up a little bit for Martinez's slow footedness, and so does Hedges. So I think as a as a combo, it was okay. I I don't think that there's anything there that makes me like super excited that the next two years are going to be f- amazing. I certainly think that Martinez will be susceptible to being replaced as the course of the season goes on, um, either by Tafari or the the new kid that's coming in from Ecuador, um, apparently. So. Uh, I, I don't, I, I'm not too upset with anything I saw from them. Uh, I think that in particular early in the year, when you're trying to implement a new defensive system, um, Jose Martinez probably has seen this system, you know, a lot more in his career than certainly Tafari will, will have, or the rookie, which is the other choice, which I would not want to see at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you're trying to build a cohesiveness and, and have people that understand how it needs to happen with the new sort of mid block look, I think it's fine. Uh, they did not, that to that group was not susceptible to over the top play last year. And even though we don't think Martinez is fast, they weren't susceptible to it this time either. Now, um, Ema on the right uh, struggled a little bit with the pace of that kid, Nelson. By the way, that kid is electric. Yeah. Uh, I know I saw him at the Dallas Cup sometime in the last year or two. What a player that is. I couldn't believe they took him out. He Ema struggled with his pace, but Hedges covered him up on the inside, and then Ema contributed a whole lot 
going forward and had, I think the second most touches on the team and had a, a fair number of progressions and passed, passed at a pretty decent rate. And, and even was two for three on dribbles, which was one of the better dribbling rates on the team in this particular game. So uh, I'm kind of an up and down on Emma. We we know he's not a great defender yet. He's he's only been playing it for like four months, really. You know, despite the fact he was supposed to when he went to Austin, he never really did. So um, he's still, you know, at 24 now learning to play defense, which is a little weird. But um, I, I wasn't as down on him as Dan was. I, I know Dan wasn't particularly happy with his performance. Yeah, I've been waiting to get in there. Yeah, he was uh, awful. Um, it was it was weird because it wasn't like anything physically he was doing wrong. It was all mental lapses. Um, he was giving uh, Jaden Nelson way too much of a lead uh, for a guy that is faster than him. He you know he can't give him a fifteen yard head start. He was getting touchline side instead of goal side. He was taking throw ins and just throwing them to Toronto players. It was uh, just a ton of mental lapses, which. It, the thing that, that kind of struck me is Paul Ariola goes into the press conference after the game. He said, I'm fine. I didn't get injured. I had cramp. I'm really embarrassed to say game one, I got cramp. I wasn't physically ready. That's fine. That happens to me. Being physically ready in game one is, is not the most important thing, but being mentally ready should be. I, I mean, I hope that's just one game and it kind of gets drilled out of him, but that was just uh, a little bit concerning to see. Okay, well then that would lead me to the most obvious question was how did you feel about the minutes or what you've seen of Nanu so far because he's obviously the replacement player for that. Um, if I was him, I'd be feeling pretty good about myself right now. If you were Nanu or M Emma? Yeah, uh, Nanu. Okay. It just seems a higher standard of player, really. We haven't got to see him do too much. I mean, it's yeah. you know, I, I did like his versatility. Uh, that weird substitution was actually planned. Uh, the whole get Siki uh, into the uh, sorry, get Nanu into the midfield, Siki at the wing, and kind of do the, the switches. Um, oh yeah, I got a lot of questions about that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was weird. Uh, but yeah, coach said after the game that was something he was planning. He liked that Nanu can play that bit higher up. He had previously in his career, uh, and he kind of wanted to just kind of see what he had about him. Uh, I thought when he you know, for switching back and forth between three positions in the last 15 minutes, I thought it was very disciplined in doing so. Hmm. It's very easy to get lost on, you know, whoever you mark, and particularly that uh, that left mid they had who had a, a pretty decent game uh, and getting up pretty high pressing on where he was, you know, killing Emma along with, uh, with Nelson. But, uh, yeah, I thought what he did, did well. Buzz, before we move on to something else, I want to go back to Martinez and Hedges here for a second, and it's something that you said a few minutes ago, which is because Nico's system is overall different from Lucci's, how how does that impact the center backs and how they play? Well, the, the if main it does it all. Yeah, it's not remarkably different for them. Uh, the main difference is... Um, is, is basically where the block is on the field. Um, the the other main difference is that there's only a single six in front of them instead of a double uh, pivot. So th those two things are slightly different. A lot of the spring, particularly once they got um, Pamaduka in, who is a center back, you know, he worked with Hedges and Martinez a whole lot and all the center backs, but a whole lot in micro positioning. 
um, in sort of developing relationships with each other. And when one guy steps, the other needs to invert and vice versa. Um, so, you know, early on, we're looking at a whole lot of work with basic team concept and team coverages, which is why when you have more veteran players that already have know a lot of that stuff, it all comes more naturally, more easily, where as much as I think Tafari should be starting, I, I, I can understand the idea that he needs a lot of work in this particular area, this this um, um, partnership movement, which is a, seems to be a thing they're emphasizing early on. Uh, but other than having the awareness to not get beat behind, which I think both of those guys do, Hedges and Martinez, uh, that's really it. The, the line is a little higher than it was last year, you know, and the the press is less aggressive than it was last year. And, and neither one of those things affect the center backs all that much. So it, it's not particularly different for them. The build is the same um, with sometimes Evan dropping in. There is a couple, there's a two rotations that one Dan pointed out and one I pointed out that are slightly different, but you still end up with the same sort of vibe. You still end up with a three and then four in front of you as you build forward. So um, not stunningly different for those two guys, actually. Okay, well, let's move into uh, really the meat of this discussion and the part that I found most fascinating to watch because this is the culmination of something that all of us, and all of us being the three of us and people that have been around this team for a long time, have talked about literally for years. The day that the essentially the meat of the attack is made up of FC Dallas homegrowns, Dallas kids, Cerillo, Cervania, Pomacall and Ferreira. And that actually came to fruition uh, to start the season. And it's and it's a reality now. And, uh, you know, I'm interested, Buzz, in your reaction of how you feel that's coming along and where you think it's headed. Well, it needs a lot of work, um, big picture. And I'll try to explain what I mean um, in the long run. It's like right now that combination is not going to get you to MLS Cup. But if you give it two or three years, it might. Um, Paxton in this particular game, box to box, was an absolute beast. His numbers are ridiculous, box to box. But the one thing we're missing from Paxton is that in the box, De Bruyne stuff, the thing we need him to be the game breaker, right? So um, Brandon was also really good uh, box to box and even actually overworked Paxton. But I think he actually hurt himself by doing it because I'm sure Dan has some stuff from Coach about um, – uh, Brandon over pursuing actually. Uh, and they actually had to take him out. I think for that reason, just a second, Dan. And then uh, the main problem with Jesus is the, is the in the box part. Now a false nine, right. is all about movement in and out of space, but he had only five touches in the box and he had 16 in his own half, which is not the ratio you're looking for. So yes, you move out of the nine, but you also then go back in, you know, and have to be in the right positions to score. And I'm, I'm sure Jesus with his trust the process Instagram post this week, real recognizes that. And <laughs> uh, then I, yeah. And then I actually thought Edwin had one of the best games of the, in the team. I had him right behind Paul Ariola for man of the match. Actually, he was 94% passing 65 touches was second most on the team. He had 24 pressures, which is the second most. And he was four for four on tackles. So, you know, he, he did, he had a little less percentage wise progressive passes than I like. That's, that's the next phase for Edwin, right? We've talked about that for about six months now is to bring up that progressive passing. And that's the, the, the best thing for him, but he did have a good, a couple of good progressive carries. So um, lots of work from him being in the right place, lots of energy. So I, I actually thought Edwin was really, really good relative to where he was coming into the season. So 
again, all those guys have a little flaws still and they all need to improve and it'll happen over the next couple of years. So I, I think if you go back to that process idea and you embrace the idea that we get to watch these guys play in and go from the age of 22 to 24, 25, how much fun that's going to be when they hit their main stride. So it's, it's fun to look forward to big picture in the longer run. All right. Now, so Dan, as we go into this season, we know that Nico's system and how he plays a four three three is different than how Lucci plays it, and there's some significant differences. But one of the things that I picked up on in in the minutes that I watched uh, of parts of the couple of preseason games that were streamed, and because I wasn't at the game on Saturday from my television viewing, which is obviously limited, was was my sense that the one thing that I'm really concerned about is the amount of distance that Paxton and Brandon appear to be doing, at least in my limited eyeball test of it. Now, I, it was so obvious to me on television that those two kids are having to run so much. I don't know how, how they're going to last two months uh, doing that game in and game out. And I was able to confirm through some stats that, in fact, both of them uh, – and that one game covered way more ground than anybody playing that same position, Brandon uh, being the same person, Paxton not, than they did by average per game in 2020. And I'm wondering, did you, are you concerned about that or am I just making all this up? I would love to see those stats. And uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, you think Sylvania was box to box, not quite sideline to sideline, but they definitely he definitely trended more to the right to kind of bail out to Marcy a few times. They are they are getting heavily overworked, uh, as Buzz kind of alluded to. Nico had to tell Sylvania to to lay off following uh, Jonathan Osorio and just let Sorio kind of do his job and pick up the runner when he's when he's gone rather than chasing the whole way box to box. They are, uh, yeah, they are going to be massively overworked. And um, I mean, Paxton uh, looks health-wise great now, um, but that's definitely, you know, with his history, you're always going to have that hesitation of is is something going to go wrong? Uh, Sylvania also kind of throws himself in, took that nasty bump to the head. Uh, we've we've seen him, we've seen him go off with a, you know. Uh, what looked like a concussion before against New York City a couple of years ago when he you know he played on and got all wobbly and then had to get pulled off yeah so yeah there could be a couple of ticking time bombs there with not a lot of depth behind them all right so buzz is this is this something that we need to be worried about in Nico's system or is this just kind of a, an element of what happens early in the season as people are figuring stuff out because i really am worried that Paxton Brandon won't make it 2 months if they're doing this game in and game out Oh, no, I think it's a legit worry. Uh, you know, we're looking at a team right now that, that tends to play mid-block, you know, which is an effort to try and, um, you know, not overexpend en- energy by not overly pressing. Uh, you know, it, they are well aware that it gets hot here. I think they're trying to combat that even now. Um, but, you know, the, the system also includes a more direct forward uh, progression play when they get the ball, and we're seeing that already. And that means Paxton and, and, and Brandon – who are box to box, or even in this particular system, if you again, we, we point at Man City because of this idea that those two eights need to be splitting those gaps, um, like they do, like De Bruyne specifically, he's the famous example of this position, um, does when you get into those areas. So, in order to do that, you really have to be going the whole field. 
Um, and you're right. That is risk of burnout. Paxton and Brandon cannot play 34 games. They just cannot. And it's, it's particularly a concern because despite the fact that Siki Nasebeling looks pretty good for a rookie, he's the only backup you have in that position. And he's never played a minute in MLS until the other day when he got a couple of minutes, right? Blaine Ferry's not technically on the roster yet. Also never played an MLS minute. So it's yeah. like you need to have somebody that can spell both of those guys for 10 games out of 34. If you get 24 each from Paxton and Brandon, that's I think that's fine. You know, you need 10 game players to fill both those spots. It can be one dude. If you can find a veteran that can play 20, you know, 10 in each spot, or maybe we're looking at two rookies playing 10 games each, which would be really surprising to me um, to, to do that. Unless you're just really thinking it's not about this year. You know, if it's not about this year, I can maybe buy it. But, uh, you know, given Paxton's track record, we love you, dude. But, you know, I would not be putting that kind of weight on the kid, even though I know he came through last year mostly unscathed. Yeah, it was it it, it really is the game dragged on. It became very clear to me that there was, um, you know, the the romantic idea of Paxton, Cervania and Cerillo being a center three because these are our kids that this club grew but they're still kids facing up against a midfield three of <laughs> Michael Bradley, uh, Jonathan Osorio, and Pozuelo. It, it just there's a significant difference of experience and class and class between those two trios, and I think that really was the biggest difference in story in the game. Yeah, you you can look at the way those guys play and the wisdom with which they play about when to expend energy and when to expend effort. And that for Paxton in particular is really something he needs to learn, you know, and, and, and both of the other guys too, the same thing, Brandon overworked himself. They ended up having to take him out. You know, Edwin early in the season is working a ton on too. So um, it, that kind of wisdom, you know, often only comes unless, except for rare, very rare, crazy exceptions only comes with playing a lot of minutes at a really high professional level. So um, you know, part of that becoming those players is to play as much as those guys are going to play. But I, I'm really worried about the the fitness and the and the health of those three guys. I mean, can you imagine playing once a week in the heat we're going to have here, running the kind of miles that those guys are running? You know, and and Paxton being a guy who brings it every day in training too. It's like I, I'd be forcing that kid to take gaze off and stuff. I'd be so worried about him. Dan, you got any other thoughts about this? Uh, no, I don't think that's that's exactly it, right? Uh, it's kind of funny because uh, you know watching Inseverling came on the other day and he's chasing everything around, kind of like a headless chicken at first. And you're like, that kid's got a lot of energy, <laughs> but right now that's not what you want to have too much. You want to, you know, yeah, you, you've got to learn I, to, especially with Paxton, because like Buzz says, you see him in training and he's just as intense as if it's a game. Um, Ryan Holland's head was always a good example of a guy that could ease off in training and turn out on a game. You kind of want to have that that kind of balance in him. Well, I think it's interesting that you know, having three young players play those three center positions and you had to sub one of them out and Toronto has a three essentially old guys playing the same positions and none of those three guys subbed out in the game for them. Um, and, and, and again, this is probably the part of the game that blew my mind the most was when you needed to, when you needed to sub out Brandon Cervania, the person you put on the field was the 29th draft pick of the MLS super draft just a few weeks before. And a guy who doesn't play center mid 
And I and and that seemed that screams real front office failure on my part for them to be in that position to have to make that move. And it well, also begs the question: What in the hell happened to Facundo? Yeah. Well, the the one thing I will say is that since they've drafted him, they've only played uh, Siki as a eight. I, I've other than the two seconds he played wing in the game the other day, yeah, that's the but, first time I've seen him do it all spring. I mean, they've converted him basically to be an eight. So it's like. I, I get that he didn't play there in college, but that's where he's playing now. But um, nobody, but nobody could watch the minutes he put into that game the other day and go, "Oh, that's a kid with something." I mean, he looked like Dan said he looked like a kid running around with his head cut off. No, but you know, relative to the expectations of a rookie who's been playing that position for about a month, uh, you know, there's some things, there's some, there's some ground he covers, and some touch, and some ball skill, and some ability to shield guys off. It's worth developing a building around. But that's what I'm talking about. Like the, the fact that you have him, and the next other option is Blaine Ferry, who I think is having an amazing spring. He was a surprise of the spring, but right. he's not on the roster yet either. So it's a massive problem. And and when you hit, when you're starting effectively three 22 year olds. You're going to get bossed big time in some of these games this season in the central midfield. Worse, way worse than that. I mean, imagine when you play Seattle. Oh, that. sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and the fact that there's nothing else. I mean, the fact that they didn't see like a Joe Corona float the wire and be like all over that is stunning to me. You know, it, it's just clearly I think there's unless they do something in the next couple of weeks beyond Blaine Ferry, it looks to me like there's a sacrifice happening this season for the long-term development of their core. That's the only thing that's the only takeaway I can come from with it. Cause otherwise I don't understand it. We've been talking about signing an eight for three months now and they haven't done it. Buzz. I mean, I, who are we, right? Just some clowns on the radio, but buzz. It's yeah. a process. It is a process. Well, but were listen, you, su- were you, su- were you surprised they subbed in the rookie instead of Facundo? No. What is it? Is it like, did his game just drop off the face of the year? I don't <laughs> is he think terrible. <laughs> well, he's not, He's not a great um, progressive eight. He can do it kind of like in a double, but um, the other thing is that he just doesn't cover enough ground, I don't think. I mean, this system requires a lot of ground covering. If you put him in, he's just going to sit in there, I think. I don't know. And maybe there's you kind you know, of one of the pressing option, which yeah. they got. Well, and if Dan says they scripted that substitution pattern, that I'm sure it was about something they wanted to look at specifically, you know, like if, if it was like, I, I got to win this game to get into playoffs, we probably would have seen Facundo in for Savini instead. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a lot going on that's, that right now that's more about trying to figure out what I have and what the competition's like and what, where I can use guys, you know, remember the early press conferences, there was a lot of discussion of they were going to take their time. They were real. They, I, the direct quote from, I'm going to paraphrase it, but the direct quote from Zanata was, and, and um, Nico Estevez both was, we're really happy with the way our roster is constructing right now. We have a bit of a wait and see kind of mentality too, though. We're kind of trying to evaluate. And we're and it, so at the middle of the season, we'll be able to do some things if we don't like the way it's going. So I really do think there's a whole lot of, you know, finding my way in this league going on here and finding my way with this roster going on here, because there's some decisions being made that don't, speak to this year like the new center back like i've been talking about needing a center back right well they didn't get a veteran guy they went out and got a kid an under 22 initiative i love that in and of itself but if you're trying to win right now that wasn't the right move so this i think that's why they beat that it's a process thing into the ground was because they're trying to make it clear to everybody that this is the ground floor of this new era that they're talking about and you can't have these expectations of that it's going to be this amazing season or anything because there's going to be some painful growing pains this year for sure. 
Okay. Let's talk about... I'm sorry. Go go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. I was going to say one thing. Um, Talking about front office failure with uh, Siki, I don't think, uh, you know, a kid who, if he didn't have an international status, would probably be a, you know, a top 10 draft pick is, you know, anywhere near as bad as, uh, you know, blowing the sixth overall pick on a guy that was projected to be in a late second, early third round. Yeah, that, uh, uh, that's a bigger miss for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair. It just, I, really, I don't mean to knock Seeky because I'm sure he's got some qualities. It's This is more a story about how did you get yourself in a position where you have to sub a rookie in for that very mm-hmm. important role. Oh, no, it's a problem. You're, that that <laughs> yeah. to me is really the thing that yeah. I got a lot of questions about. And again, Buzz, yeah. maybe, that, maybe, you're, maybe you've hit it right on the head. They've all had this agreement internally and they just can't say it externally look we're not winning mls cup this year let's be smart about how we do this and um we'll we'll get an eight when we find the right eight and we're not going to rush it i kind of i kind of wish they'd be honest and just say that out loud because i think everybody would be everybody wouldn't you know have a big question mark over their head when they make moves like this in the middle of a game but yeah you know if if you put that lens on it and look at everything they did this winter in that lens, I think it's very clear that's what's happening because mm-hmm. you you have a couple more contracts that you really need to get off the books, right? I mean, you have some guys that are serviceable pieces that you're using, but they're they're paid way out of whack for how you're using them in Facundo and Frankohara. Now they're not they're not negatives to the to the camp and negatives to the roster or cancers or anything like that, so it's it's okay. But you know you need to clear those off your books, right? And then you you know. And I think, you know, from the way as much as they could, I think they tried to hint that that's what happening. Like that all that process stuff, all that, you know, we're happy with where we are. It's an evaluation, all that talk about it's about getting pieces that fit the new system rather than like pure talent. You remember that discussion mm-hmm. and that led us to Areola and stuff. You know, I, I think all the tea leaves are there to be read, you know, but you, you know, as well as I do, they can't come out and say, we don't care about the results this year. They just, you know, they, they have to say that we belong in the playoffs and we expect to fight for the playoffs. They have to say that. I understand that. But the spin, I think, was there to, to be seen that this is not for now. It's, you know, we're going to give Pax and Brandon and Edwin and Jesus 25 to 30 games each and see where we are, you know. All right, let's talk about uh, growing pains, as you said a little bit, and I and let's let's turn that focus on Jesus because clearly here's a guy who had a fantastic end to the 2020 season. Uh, the club signs him to this crazy two million dollar a year deal, uh, which is a record not just for this team but for the entire league for a homegrown, uh, and yet they're asking him to do something very different than what he was successful at previously in this team, and I think. That, you know, based on the performance from Saturday, this is going to be a new learning process for him. Yeah, it really is. Um, you're, you're asking him to go back to the way he played uh, two seasons ago, basically, back in 2019 when he played half the season this, in this position. So it'll take him a little time to get that adaptation right. And um, I was about 80% happy with the way he played. You know, there's a missing... 10 to 15% of burst back into the box. You know, there's a couple of times where I'm like, if you'd have been there half a second earlier, you'd have scored. I I thought that way, like two or three different occasions, like you're a half second late, Jesus, you know? So I I think I'm, I'm, I'm confident that having seen him play the right way a couple of years ago and coming up through the Academy, I think he can get it. You know, it's not one of those things where you're like, 
this is a dead solid lock to work, but I, I feel pretty good about where it is, relatively speaking. So much of what's going to happen with him, Dan, it, re- it revolves around what turns out to be Alan Velasco, who is now here with the team. I, and because, I've, you know, and, Bu- and Buzz will talk about this in a second, we really don't know what we're getting into, but it that really is going to be the 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 real added ingredient to this team that is going to determine how Jesus's season goes. Yeah, that's totally fair to say. I mean, just taking uh, Saturday's game over times, I mean, let's just preface it by saying, um, you know, I mean, he still ended up with a goal disallowed and an XG of one. So he was getting in the right spots and doing the right things, just not with the frequency that you necessarily wanted. But he's also dropping out wide so that Hader can come inside, which, you know, uh, we'll see maybe if that works a little bit better with uh, Velasco because Hader is, is definitely like... I've picked my I picked my little white square in the net and I'm just gonna always run, run, run straight towards that and not really think about anything else. Cowbell. I, I thought it was interesting that they in the going back to the last game, that early on they were flipping wings for a fair amount and then they stopped. It seemed like to me that they quit doing that. And I wasn't sure whether that was because you know, Obreon doesn't really help Ema or you know, and, and Paul does, so that was kind of my thinking perhaps into why they did that. And there was a point at which Toronto took Nelson out, which I found surprising. And it may be because Dallas had figured out how to neutralize him perhaps. So he was pissed off about that as well. I I don't blame him, dude. That kid was balling. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was man in a match by far. Yeah. I was like, trade him to Dallas, please. I, yeah, that, by the way, small plug here, go to the Dallas cup because that dude was in the Dallas cup literally within the last year, year and a half, whatever it was I saw him playing for Toronto and the right back too, the 19 right back. I know I've seen him here too. So, and the, it's just, you, you get a chance to catch those kids coming through the Dallas cup before they hit MLS. And it's really fun when you finally see them make the transition. Yeah. Key lesson from today's episode, go to the Dallas cup. Yeah. There you go. I'm not even sponsored by it. No, <laughs> no. It's yeah. just if, if we could teach pod listeners a good life lesson, it's taken Dallas Cup games when you were given the opportunity to. Yeah, uh, you'd be amazed at the things you will look back on and go, "Holy crap! I saw that guy at the Dallas Cup." Yeah. Um, okay, so overall, Buzz, what are your general feelings about Nico's system? Uh, your concerns or things you're looking forward to here in the next coming few weeks? Uh, I I like in particular the not pressing as much timing you're pressing. I I feel like um, the best successes Dallas has had here were with Oscar. And I think Oscar knew how hot it was. So he was willing to let you have the ball as much as you wanted. And then when you would make a mistake, he would pounce and counter punch. So this seems to be somewhere in between Lucci possession and Oscar's sit mid and counter um, because there there are some press triggers, which are fine. And they they do go relatively quickly forward when they get it. And and I'm given the weather here. I'm okay with that. You know, not burning yourself out is good, which brings us to the giant concern, which is the three young midfielders who we love but you really got to have to find somebody that can play that can can play enough starts to keep Ed, not Edwin as much cuz Facundo's fine he can make make 10 starts for Edwin but you need to get Paxson and Serena both something in the neighborhood of 8 to 10 games off each uh whether it's one guy or two guys um and that's that's the major concern that's the thing and and I I like uh the way Jesus is working right now 
Uh, and I'm really excited to see if Ariola has not so not Ariola. I'm sorry, Velasco. When you actually see Velasco get minutes, I'm excited to see if he plays uh, the, the slashing game Ariola does the one that gets into those gaps that the nine makes, because if he does, if he plays that way, then he's a better fit than Obreon. And you could really see that front line get going and you could end up with basically three interchangeable parts, all of whom will have a, a mix of goals and assists, probably not over 10, any one of them individually, but they'll all three be in the high single digits goals and assists. And you'll end up with a collective group of high scoring that way. Uh, it'd be very difficult for people to mark when you have three guys that are like that. So that's those, that's the big thing for me going forward. I'm most excited to see come to fruition or see if it does come for fruition. Okay. Now it dawned on me that we talked about pretty much everybody on the field, except for the goalkeeper, Martin Pass. And you know, to be honest, he didn't have a ton to do in this game, and I'm trying to. Did he actually end up making a save, or was there a save of note that I need to think about? Uh, let's see. He had no saves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one goal against is fine. You know, look at it this way: the xG against was 1.6, so they held him to one. That's a relatively positive. You know, he, he passed it a decent-ish kind of rate. You know, it wasn't it wasn't quite as good as Jimmy Maurer is when Jimmy Maurer's on in terms of passing percentage, but um, he wasn't really challenged. I mean, I think didn't Toronto only had like eight shots or something yeah. and only one on goal and it, and it was blocked? Or oh, that his, was the one goal, yeah. I and mean, his distribution seemed fine. I didn't, I didn't have fine. any particular yeah. note of – not that they pressed him or anything that I could uh, – hard – that had any concerns. Okay. I mean, 80%, he only had 25 passes, so he didn't have a lot of touches. That's one thing about playing this higher mid block is you're you're not going to have the keeper involved as much as you did last year in terms of touches. Dan, I think you'll agree with me. He looks like a proper Dutch goalkeeper, right? Uh, yeah. Was it, was it in that game or the, uh, or the last preseason game where he did the whole Van Persie header as well? The, like the weird, like, Salmon jumping out. Oh, the water. I think it was this game, wasn't it? What? Where well, he was out of the box. That? Yeah, yeah. There was a ball coming out the box. He ran. Uh, he ran out the box and kind of did that dive in header that uh, Van Persie did at the 2014 World Cup. Yeah, he did do that. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> uh, right. yeah. FC Dallas tweeted it out. So That's definitely nice go and they, back and watch out. See, they tweeted something. That's nice. Yeah, the, you know the. I, I, I don't. I haven't seen nearly enough of him to know if he's better than Jimmy. I I know that he's better than um, Philippe already. I'm confident in that. So I think there's a legitimate challenge there for Jimmy. I think that if, the, if those guys are pressing each other, that's probably a win for the team. Yeah. You know, he's got himself a, a head start because Jimmy got hurt. You know, but um, Jimmy's back in training. So you know, when it comes to goalkeepers, that's I haven't actually asked this coach, but in, in this franchise's recent decade of work. Drew Keyshawn decides pretty much who's going to be in the goal. So we'll have to see what he thinks about which way that's going to break, you know, and, and, and if it ends up being paused the whole way, I'm okay with that. If it ends up being Maurer and he's more like 2020 Maurer and not 2021 Maurer, that's great too. So uh, I'm not worried about keeper at all. I thought uh, Toronto looked better than I thought they would. Uh, Bob's done a good job of putting that crew together, and Pozuelo looks like he's probably back in form from his original season than he was last year. There were a couple moments in that game where he was fantastic, uh, and I thought he was single-handedly going to chew Dallas up. 
Yeah, you know, they're definitely better than last year. I don't think they're great, but they're definitely better than last year. I, I can't believe Michael Bradley's still playing. Isn't he like 40? Uh, I don't think he's quite that old. But um, <laughs> well, Being silly, but yeah. He scored a worldie at the Azteca buzz. Pay your proper he, he respects, did, sir. Did. Oh, listen, that kid on his day has been, was a hell of a player for the United States. Um, you know, and, and in Europe for Roma when he was there, you know, I, I, I just think he's really long in the tooth and they're asking a lot out of that guy Boy, to be they fair. Are. Yep. Yeah. But you know what? He played his 90 minutes. He did. All I want to talk about with them is Nelson. I thought that kid was amazing. Yeah. He was <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. He was, you know, sometimes uh, there's kids that have just something about him, like where you just, it catches your eye and you're just like, Oh my. And he was like that for me. It just lit me up. Uh, yeah. There was brain. that, there was that one move he put on Emma at the end line and just absolutely ate Emma's lunch and beat him to the, to the post you know, down the line. And I thought, wow. I mean, Emma's, Emma's not a slow dude, right? I mean, yeah. and he made Emma look slow and not smart. I mean, the thing is, is you have to, you have to remember too, that he ended up only have Nelson as good as he looked. He only had one shot on goal. You know, nothing came of it. It's not like he was effective in terms of the score sheet, but sometimes like for me, when I'm watching a, a guy is that exciting, it's like, you're not, you're not thinking about like the moment, like something he did. You're thinking about like how much fun it's going to be watching that guy over the years with that level of talent, how good he could be and that kind of thing. You know, it's uh, a uh, players like that get me really excited for the game. Okay. Now this is uh, an appropriate time for me to throw in a new feature. Nope. When we, we're doing post-game commentary, we also need to throw in post-game kit talk. Mm because we all loved our kits. All right, so how do we feel about the new Crescendo kit now that we've seen it live and in person? Go ahead go, I guess. No, let's let, let Dan go yeah. first. Dan, go. I don't really notice the blue hoops on it when they're actually playing. It's, uh, yeah, uh, I, maybe it's a speed thing, but yeah, where it kind of has that little almost purple blur to it, it really, aside from the, un, the side panels, it really doesn't seem a whole lot different to last year. Okay. Yeah, that's the big takeaway is that on a macro level, it's basically the same as they had last year, which is why I, of course, really wanted to be with white shorts. That would be my big thing. I thought Toronto's jersey was terrible. It's boring, but yeah. you know that it that didn't end up looking as bad in person or bad on television as it has in the photos. The, the I, I'm a big I'm a big two panel fan. Yeah. Um, uh, but for a light kit and as an alternate kit for them uh, across from the maroon or whatever they typically wear, it, it wasn't as terrible as I as I thought it would be. I'm going to give you a kit comment from my wife, and that was that, man, Matt Hedges' feet are huge when he wears those white boots. <laughs> 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 so that was funny. <laughs> wonder what your wife is thinking. That's weird. Yeah, that's, she yeah. thinks Matt, Matt Hedges has giant feet. Yep, <laughs> that's it. Nothing other than giant feet. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. The white shorts would have been better with this and it just reinforces the idea that they just need to stop flirting around the idea of hoops and just go with red and blue hoops period. Um, did the red in person end up being the pinky red that we were worried about? I wasn't um, there I mean, in person. Yeah. Uh, oh. I said that last year, last week, see after seeing it in person. Oh, you would see pictures. Oh, it looks like okay. proper red, but in person it's kind of pinkish. It's still that pinky print. Okay. All right. Yeah. The, definitely like from the, from the, on TV and the, and, da, and as Dan says in the pics is the, the crescendo hoops definitely wash out some and you can hardly, sometimes you can hardly see them particularly when they get all sweaty. So I'm, I'm with you, Peter. It's like, just, just put on your big boy pants and give us hoops, red and blue hoops. You know, the, the white numbers are good. 
you know, the blue socks look good. You know, just throw on the white shorts and give us the, the real thing. We're really excited. All right. It was a cold, somewhat rainy day on a Saturday afternoon. It was near freezing. There was a pretty good drizzle going on, or it was spitting rain for a it lot of it. It was pissing down. Was it? Was it that bad? Yeah. You couldn't tell really from television. Uh, the stated attendance was just over 12,000. Although uh, I am happy to report that the section of the corner where they have stuffed the supporters groups was as full as it could be. Right, Dan? It looked like that turned out pretty yeah. good. Those guys yeah, all sounded, sounded pretty great. Happy. Looked great. Um, the one thing they've changed about the stadium, or at least I noticed it on television that I, I think is new this year, is they have covered up the navy blue walls at the at the base of all the stands, and they've covered it in a red banner tarping with advertising and stuff on it and i i hate that there's too much red yeah it was better when they had the blue top on it last year well it just it just makes everything stand out so much better with the navy blue yeah okay. even last year i think it was it was navy blue with red on it but it like you say it it's on like a bright blue wall between advertising boards that are quite often red given the sponsors and seats that are bright red or people in jerseys that are red so it's like I say it's just especially against green the the green of the field it's such a headache inducing combo and it buzz you're the tv guy you yeah. you had to have noticed this no not really you know because you're coming from a higher angle you know you don't you don't look uh you know the camera angle cuts down towards the grass and so the, the the stands is really only like the top trim of the thing. You know, it's under the scoreboard kind of. Oh, I didn't. I wasn't there either. I'm talking about watching it on television. And every yeah. time they were doing a field shot, that wide main field shot, I just thought, man, I hate that red banner on the wall. It just, but you, it's hard to pick out players from the wall. And 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 when there's red on the video boards, it's just. I don't know. It just was a bad, bad choice in my. Yeah, opinion. I didn't particularly notice. I actually have felt all along that. Um, back when they were bare cement, I thought that they should paint the walls the same color as the buildings, which is that, <clears throat> excuse me, that taupey adobe looking color, because it's not the same color as the uniforms. If you paint it red or blue, either one, it washes out with the sponsors, with the fans, with their jerseys, with everything. If you had it be that adobe color, it carries the theme of the whole stadium, and then it pops out the colored jerseys on top of it or the sponsors on top of it. So, you know, neutral background, right? Not not color background, neutral background. A taupe. How about a nice taupe? Yeah. Or like if you're going to go blue, go navy, as you say, because navy's neutral if it's dark enough. So it's right. like, you know, I, but I would refer the tan, the tan background, which really is neutral. And then everything else stands out in front of it. It's poor design on my mind. But, you know, who am I? It's just some dude that's been here for 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, the good guys don't get the three points. They end up giving up the goal and oh. Uh, dropping. Oh, what, 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 what? What did we forget? There is a stadium change that you may not see on TV. So you know how last year they turned the bleachers around and just put some banners on that said, thank you, fans? They've ditched that. What are you talking about up on the empty stage? Oh, yeah, sorry. on the, okay. Yeah, at the north end. They put these red boxes there, and there were these little things that looked like spotlights on, and we were trying to figure out what it was before the game. And uh, I think they've watched a couple of New York City games because it was uh, white smoke machines. For like so when it, they score a goal? Yeah, and at kickoff, uh, they've basically filled half, of the, filled half of the field with white smoke 
uh, for like the first minute or two of the game. Hmm. Did they fire it off when they scored the goal? Yeah. Yeah, but they did it at, at kickoff in both halves as well. From... Uh. Are there st- okay? Because uh, from from television, it looks like a construction zone, like it that because you don't see all of the stage. All you see are the supports for the 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 gridding and everything and the stanchions. It looks like there's a construction project going on from television. And if you if you'd never been to the stadium and you were watching it on TV, you would swear there's something being built on the north end of the stadium based on what it looks like on television. Are the trucks still there? Are they still is it still a car lot? Yep, someone hit one of them. Uh, yeah, it's it's now the photographer's main working area. They they're allowed to sit in between the little smoke machines and and take photos from there because they're not allowed to walk around the pitch anymore. It's just stupid so, use of space. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So let's see. So the next game is coming up Saturday. It is at twelve thirty. It is also on TXA twenty one. They are traveling to face off against Bruce Arena and the New England Revolution and their new crest and all their new players uh, and stuff they got going on there. Um, I thought uh, they looked pretty good in their particular show this weekend. But, Buzz, will this be the weekend we see the debut of the hot Argentinian sensation, 19-year-old Alan Velasco? Well, I can't guarantee this, but I'm going to say no. Uh, Well, I'm sorry, no in the starting lineup. I don't think that you can start him after being here for basically five days of training. Um, the coach did say that he would be sort of a day by day decision on whether he makes the trip at all. So I I think there's a good chance that they'll take him just to acclimate him with the club and isolate him with the guys, you know, and get him engrossed fast. If he's there, will they put him on the bench? Will they bring him in for 10, 15, 20 minutes? Uh, uh, Probably actually, if uh, the coach talked a little bit about coach Nico talks a little bit about, how he hasn't played since, you know, I think he said early January, I think it was. So he is having, you know, you could train on your own, but we saw coming out of COVID, the training on your own is not the same as training in a real session. These guys are really competitive. The juices flow at a different level when you're playing training with people and they make everything a competition. So he's not going to be integrated enough to be able to start or play significant minutes. But um, I would not bet against seeing him in the game. The, the real question mark, I think, is that you might – if Dan is right, you might have seen a bad enough performance from Tuomasi that you could see not Nanu in there. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, I think you got to give a guy that you go with opening day. I think you got to give him more than that, though. I think you got to give him at least, you know, it's not like Emma's, you know, a thirty-year-old veteran with a hundred scouts on the wall. He's but he's got a little bit of time here, and he was the guy coming in. So I think you got to give him three or four, maybe. But um, if the if they evaluated him bad enough, you know, you might see Nanu in there. I think if uh, you know if you're, you're evaluating a guy who was mentally asleep at the wheel, uh, just replacing him after one game is going to absolutely crush him. That's uh, that, that just kind of seems like bad man management at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, you you want him to, you want it to be a wake up call, and you want to, you want to say to him, "Listen, you better wake up. This other guy's here now." You know. So I, I think I, I think it'd be premature to replace him, but um, you know I, I think you'll continue to see Nanu come off the bench. You know when you bring in a guy from Europe, you want to do it with the idea that he's going to play somewhere somehow. So you'll want to progress him too. 
All right. Now, this would be the portion of the pod where the good pod listener could or probably is anticipating uh, Buzz's initial reaction and judgment of the qualities of one Alan Velasco. But alas, there was a hiccup in the plan. Yeah, that's as much my fault as anything. Um, they This coach, uh, unexpectedly to me, the team's traveling on Thursday and they're going to spend an extra day basically in Boston. So he closed practice last week and this week on Wednesday. I didn't notice last week, but this week I forgot to look. So I got caught thinking I was going Wednesday. And then when I actually did look, you know, Tuesday night at like 11 o'clock, I looked and it's like, oh, lo and behold, it's closed. So uh, it was obviously at that point too late to go on Tuesday. Now, um, this this club has been whittling away at the amount of access uh, I've been getting for 25 years, 25 years ago, I could go anywhere I wanted to, anytime I wanted to covering this team, but that's not been the case for like a, over a decade now. Um, Thursday and Friday have been closed for many years. And I'm hoping that Wednesday being closed was just because they left town early. I hope I'm hoping they're going to go back to letting me go on Wednesday because I like Wednesday better because it's closer to the podcast. Because if we, if I go on Tuesday, then there's like two days before we do the podcast and things are slightly less fresh and stuff could have happened. You know what I mean? So I like to go Wednesday. Um, but anyway, that's what happened. Uh, it's just, it's my own fault for not checking. So I have no scouting report for everybody. So my apologies and hopefully take back to, to lunch and ask for the, uh, yeah. <laughs> see, that's the problem is that I don't have like with Lucci, I already knew him. So like I could, I could be like, Hey, let's go have lunch and we can talk about stuff like Nico. I don't have that. I, I have, I'm starting over here from scratch. And you, you've talked to him, Dan, you know, he's still giving me coachisms, you know, they're appropriate coachisms and they're shorter than Lucci's coachisms, which lasted 20 minutes, but they're still coachisms and, and he's not really opening up a lot yet. So, yeah. yeah, it dawned on me, it dawned on me, Buzz, when we were having the whole conversation uh, a few weeks ago about, you know, the significance of Nico and a new staff is the fact this is the first time in literally decades that there's a whole new a set of people running the the on on field product that aren't part of the family. So, yeah. you know, when it went from Oscar to Lucci, Lucci knew who you were like you said, right? So, yeah. if somebody from media and com said, "Hey, they and said something about, you know, giving access to the media or you specifically, they could roll their eyes and go, "Okay, it's just being them." Uh, and they treated you as they always have. The problem is now Nico doesn't know you. And so all he has to go by is what people in media and comms say about you or other yeah. people in the media and, and how they, you know, and is probably influencing or biasing him on how he wants to give you access or how he wants to, how open he wants to be with you. That I think that's, yeah. that's a real problem for you in some ways, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I, I hope, I hope that I, I realize that the other day by the way that I'm, I'm like 10 years older than he is i not, <laughs> not that has yeah he's like uh, hey I pops think, get off my soccer field. yeah he was born in 1980 so he's 10 years younger than me um I, i'm hoping that he's um experienced enough to know that every person that reports on the team is different and that you want to develop a relationship and i use that term loosely i, I don't mean like I just mean like everybody is different and everybody has a different level. And you're right that since Dave Durr was here, every coach that's come through, we talked about this in the off season, you know, has had already knew me, including Shellis already knew me, you know? So it's, I don't have a foundational relationship with this guy. 
And I, you know, I've, I've now talked to him five or six times. That's nowhere near enough for him to trust me, you know, and certainly isn't enough for him to change whether practice is open or not, because I asked, you know, so I mean, if they limit practice to just Monday and Tuesday from now on, Monday is worthless. That's a recovery day. So it just means I'll be going on Tuesday from now on, which, you know, again, I just don't like it as much. I don't have any ground to stand on to say, oh, Wednesday back up. I, I think official policy is it's closed two days before the game. And I'm assuming that they just adapted that to before they travel because, the, you know, they're, the idea being that they're doing the same sort of things on Wednesday, Thursday, that they normally do on Thursday, Friday. And that's what I'm hoping, you know, and I did confirm with them that it was just for this week so far. And I'm, so I'm hoping that next week it'll be different. They really do do the schedule week by week. So um, I'm crossing my fingers. that It'll be back to Wednesday only for my own personal preference. There's no you know, logistical reason why I can't just go Tuesday other than I don't like it as much. No, but know. let me let me pull the curtain back a little bit, Buzz, because most professional sports teams with good media relationships, especially ones with people who should be considered important to the coverage of their team, go a little bit out of their way to say, hey, Mr. Media Man, I know you normally come on Wednesdays. We have pl- cl- I just want to remind you, practice is closed on Wednesdays. Yeah, I, it would have been nice to hear that in advance, but um, you know, there are a lot of... Uh, teams around the world. And certainly there are some in this league that practices never open and most other pro sports, it's never open. On the other hand, every coach that's ever been here at one time or another has said to me, you know, I don't always agree with you, but I'll give you credit because at least you're always here watching training. And so you have a foundation of, you know what we're trying to do and you see what we're trying to do. Yeah. You know, so if they, if they take that away from me, it's very difficult for me to do what I do. So, like I say, I, I I don't think that that's happening. I don't think that they're going to close, I mean, even if they close Wednesday permanently. That's I can handle just going on Tuesday. That's okay, you know. I just won't like it as much, and and I wish I would have known it was closed on Wednesday because I really would have, especially with Velasco. I, like the new players in town, like a, a heads up text of, "Hey, training's closed on Wednesday. You better come on Tuesday." Would have been super awesome, but that d- didn't happen. So, just remember, know. we're supposed to RSVP twenty four hours in advance now. Is it 24? Maybe that's my mistake then, because <laughs> yeah. I didn't do it till like 12 hours before. So. That's the new thing this season. Is it 24? I'm pretty sure it's a 24. That's okay. Uh, you know, just know I come every Wednesday. <laughs> Can't you just go with that? Oh, okay. That's fine. It's fine. I'll start doing it. 24. Oh, the stories we could tell. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me shift gears here a slight bit. I was uh, I was looking. A couple of things happened. I was uh, sifting through Instagram, and happened upon Ryan Hollingshead uh, Holling, Hollingshead Instagram account, and then I was watching the MLS Review Show on YouTube, which, by the way, I highly recommend uh, if you want to get a quick synopsis of what happened in the week and uh, good coverage of those games. And it suddenly dawned on me that that particular game. Uh, for, and for LAFC must have been the most mind-blowing experience for Ryan Hollingshead because the pictures he put up on Instagram are him and the team celebrating with the fans, this crazy full stadium, that crazy wall, uh, st- safe standing area behind the goal at that beautiful stadium, him like celebrating after the win, all of that, and I thought, man, Ryan's mind must be blown coming from Dallas. And then it dawned on me, 
If his mind is blown, could you imagine what must be running through the head of Kellen Acosta, who's been through both Dallas and Colorado? Yeah, and those guys are out there together. Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, like Kellen's they're like at least seen it with the national team, Ryan has. Oh, uh, okay, fair enough. But I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking after poor Kellen had to deal with empty stadiums of Dallas and Denver. You know, he goes to L.A. and he's like, holy, this is one how I, I, I got traded into heaven in comparison. Not, not to derail that, that, but I, I've actually been worried about that with Alan Velasco for the last month and a half now. It's like, what's he going to think the first game he goes to and there's, you know, 5,000 people in the stands in Dallas coming from where he's from? I, I, yeah, I, I have to, I've seen enough comments here and there from different people, both current and formally on the team that have made mention about how that is affecting that. I'm sure that is at some point he's going to come into a game and there's 12,000 people in the stands and he's going to go, what in the hell? This Michael is... Bradley is pretty famous for his hatred of playing at Toyota stadium for that reason. Why yeah, is that? That's true. Yeah. He said that many times. No energy in the stadium. Ah, Yeah. Like yeah. you, you can go to Seattle, and it doesn't matter if there's you know forty thousand people booing you. You can thrive off it. If there's just general apathy around, except for a tiny corner, you can't really get going. Yeah, it is crazy. Well, um, speaking of which, maybe things are turning around because this week we did start to see some, for the first time in quite a while, some impressive marketing uh, being put up around town. In downtown Dallas, there is a giant. Uh, banner that's on the side of a building over um, right off uh, one main square, I think is what it is, with uh, Paul Areola front and center, Paxton on one side, and Jesus on the other. They've got all sorts of video boards uh, going around. They've bought uh, airtime on the ticket with Bob Sturm. They're paying Bob to read uh, do reads. Uh, so uh, some of the new guys at least putting in the work, uh, whether or not it actually converts. But the one thing that I read this week was a comment from somebody because I heard there were some crazy ass stories that happened during the game and in the 24 hour tailgate that I want to ask about here in a second. But one of the things <laughs> that came out of it that I heard that really caught my uh, uh, caught my eye was somebody quoting a conversation with Dan Hunt. And the the story goes something like this, that Dan told people at the 24-hour tailgate, and apparently after he'd had a few beers, that the club had gone out and bought a massive amount of personal data of new people that had moved to the DFW area and targeted them for ticket sales and told the front and told the people at the 24-hour tailgate that it was so successful they had sold more season tickets and sweet deals than they had in the in one like short window of time than they had in the entirety of all last year or some previous year am i am i am i repeating that story somewhat correctly that's how i heard it okay uh, i haven't heard that story i i will say peter that uh, I think it's important to give them credit for two things. If that story is true, and I don't doubt it uh, here. And one is that you particularly have been saying for years that they needed to do some market studies and some analytics and kind of stuff. And and that sounds yeah. like that's up that alley. So phenomenal. Again, this is the change we're seeing this winter. It's not just on the field. And the other is from me, literally a decade ago, roughly because it was when I was working NBA in Portland and seeing these gigantic hundred foot advertisements on the side of buildings for the, for Portland and for the soccer in Portland and thinking, man, how come they don't do stuff like that? Well, they just did. 
in Dallas. So we've been talking about that kind of thing for literally a decade and they've done both of them now. And we've, or we found out about them now in one off season or in the space of a week, we found out about them. So again, something is different with this club. Now they're doing things different. They're spending money differently. They're hiring different people. There is 100% a change happening in this organization. Will it all work? Uh, who knows? But it's for the first time in a long, long time, I at least feel refreshingly optimistic about the direction of the whole thing. And that's really cool. Yeah, I do too. And I also want to give some credit to some people in your discord because they provided me a point of view that I had never considered before, because one of the things that is somewhat fascinating or revealing to me when I'm in the discord is I'm reminded that there are people who are fans of this club that are literally brand new fans that have none of the dirty history, bad experiences that I'm cluttered by, right? That yeah. not, not just me, many people are cluttered us, yeah. by. And so when uh, it was so funny to me because somebody in the discord today or yesterday, uh, by the way, you get access to the discord by uh, donating to Buzz's Patreon. And I highly suggest that you do it because it's a really good community of people. Please do that. Um, uh, was the comment of this is like the, the person I don't remember who it was and I apologize for not uh, repeating your name was the comment of well this is kind of funny because I'm just kind of a new fan of the team and I'm a, I, all, this all this marketing stuff is pretty much all I know I have no idea what you guys are talking about which has been <laughs> yeah. going on for the last 25 years this yeah. all seems pretty normal to me and we're all you know freaking out hey look they actually put up a billboard they they bought a radio ad so that's funny the other one is that there are new fans that don't know the history. Somebody on the Discord again was asking the question, uh, you know, that to me seems obvious, but to somebody new is like a really honest, genuine mystery, which is why do people make fun of Houston for winning San Jose's trophies? Because they don't know that history. So we get to pass on and do that knowledge transfer. So uh, I, I have to remind myself, not everybody is an old fuck like me. And they're not all jaded. And, you know, yeah. and, and there are people who are new to this. And, and maybe the marketing is working. They're bringing in new fans that yeah. don't have all of the history that we have and uh, maybe i should take that as a cue to be more positive about things yeah about well that. number one the the our discord in particular is a safe space where you can ask anything because we do know that there are a lot of people that a don't don't study the game at the level that we do or don't can't see it the way we do or don't have the 25 years of jadedness that we have you know so i am for sure and all of us i think are really willing to answer questions and explain things and there's no such thing in when you're writing to the fandom of this club and soccer in this country, there's no such thing as a bad question. If you don't know what it is, just ask. We're happy to explain stuff. No one's going to look down at you because it is a new sport. I mean, there's there's people in there that are highly active that literally only started watching soccer a year ago because their kid decided they liked it better than baseball. You know, and they they don't they know nothing about the game, and it's like we're perfectly happy to try and educate them. And that's 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 literally a try and attitude I take about third degree from the very beginning was. This is my choice on how to serve the game. And that's to try and educate people or teach people, or in the case of teaching the history, like we teach them about South Lake and they're like, what is South Lake? I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm right. like, what a, can you imagine being the joyous person that doesn't know what the South Lake debacle is and how nice that must be, you know, or people that don't know who Jason Christ is that work for the team sometimes, you know, so that's kind of weird, but okay, we'll explain to you who Jason Christ is, you know? So it's, it's all good and we welcome all the fandom, but it's so sometimes so refreshing to see people that are like, they, they literally don't know things that are like even like three or four years old. They don't have a context for it. 
And it's it's sometimes really eye opening and, and in many ways refreshing to see people, you know, not bitter and sour like you and I are or Dan is to a certain I extent think, as well. I think the really cool part about it is people who are kind of new to the game and the team and and then they want to they want to know they want to learn they want to absorb as much knowledge and you know we'll get people like hey yeah i sat a bit higher up in the stadium and i kind of saw a tactical concept you guys talked about on on a burn or on a, on the podcast or in an article and that's that's absolutely awesome when you kind of like you try and lay those explanations out and then someone's like i see it now yeah yeah well uh, not to be a downer about it, but that's why I was really most disappointed in getting the draw because a win really would have put a nice bow on a, a really fun mm, yeah. and exciting week. But when I watched that game, uh, you know, minus a couple of highlights, the far fan and areola part of the game, there was for me, and I don't know if you guys agree, the game really ranged from, um, oh, that's uh, that's a little bit concerning to, oh, that's not good. And this is going to be a long season. Well, it's particularly in, when you put it in the context of the schedule because New England is really good, and then that week after that, it's Nashville who's really good, and then Portland is really good. And Chicago is not that great, but it's in Chicago, and then Colorado's pretty good, and then it's in New York, and then it's the rival Houston, and then it's Sporting, and then it's Seattle. So it's like, <laughs> look, I, I know when you're bad, the whole schedule is rough. I get it. But that's that's like when you when you look at that thing, and we it's like you have to understand – that when you're playing a team that wasn't very good last year, you better get some results if you don't if you want to try and compete for the playoffs because this thing is not going to be easy. Well, that's a bitch of a schedule, man. Uh, this segment of Buzzkill brought to you yeah. by Budweiser. Hashtag Buzzkill. <laughs> oh my god, I had. I, uh, Go ahead. Uh, hey, here. I've, I've got to know when you uh, when you walk into the mothership on Saturday and you look up in Victory uh, Plaza or whatever it's called and you see a giant Paxton Pomacol watching over you with that weird three finger, not quite a shocker, but his thumb's <laughs> doing something. It's like yeah. gangster. It's like gangster shocker is what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> what? Two in the pink and one cap in your ass. Um, yeah. Are you going to like feel really warm and fuzzy inside? With that hundred foot Paxton watching over you, I saw it. You know, it was actually out there uh, before the show last weekend, and I was just marveling. I was, you know, it, it's it was great to see. I mean, I, I I'm glad that they're doing these things, and I hope it converts into a better. I, I hope it. I hope it becomes something that Michael Bradley wants to come play in because it is. It's got that kind of buzz and atmosphere to it. Um, and, and you know, time will Even tell just if brand it awareness would be nice. Just yeah, bra- yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for if I'm at a youth game and people, you know, are asking me, "Oh, your kid plays for FC Dallas," and I'm like, you know, just because I'm wearing an FC Dallas hat or something, and it's like, you know, there's there's a pro team plays five feet over that way. You know, it's like I'm not. Well, it's not always about the kids. Um, I think it was it was me and Andy were a thing for the National Soccer Hall of Fame, and. Some woman turns around with her like Cowboys press passes and asks, and bear in mind, this is in the Winners Club at Twitter Stadium, the home of FC Dallas, surrounded by FC Dallas logos. Someone says, so does Dallas have a professional team? <laughs> yeah, and I, Andy kind of has to turn to her and be like, yeah, this, this is their stadium? 
Yeah, I've, I've literally been on the complex and have run into people that don't know a professional team plays in the building that's like right there over your shoulder. It's like, oh, I thought that was a high school football stadium. No, it's <laughs> that's well, the primary use. Yeah. The sidekicks? No, the, the FC Dallas. I, I don't burn. know. I don't know if this is. I, I don't know what this means. I don't know what what caused it, but I actually had somebody who is in sports media in Dallas, who is in a significant position of decision-making power, ask me on the phone today, as a matter of fact, hey, by the way, I'm not saying I would, but if I wanted to go to an FC Dallas game, which game should I go to? Should I go to the, like, versus Portland? Or, like, I don't know who the other good teams are in MLS. And so he, uh, he and I talked through that, and I gave him some recommendations. Um, yeah, cool. And and I, now whether or not he ends up attending is very much TBD. But the fact he even asked, uh, I thought was interesting. So that's really uh, cool that you've got Clark Hunt's number. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Clark Hunt is not in oh. Dallas sports media, sir. That's funny. Uh, okay. Now the last thing I want to talk about is uh, I. I don't know how to interpret this. I don't know if this is just uh, this particular person uh, uh, being respectful to the club in which he's talking to. I don't know if it's him show, uh, throwing shade at the hunts. I'm not quite sure what how to read this. But the other day, Don Garber was talking about the Philadelphia Union. And I believe the quote is, this is a club that literally wrote the book on youth player development. And I thought, holy shit, are you kidding me? The the tiny caveat is I believe at the very end of the whole thing, he's I think he said that they were almost the best track record or something about it. So, yeah. But I, they did not write the book on youth development. No, no, they didn't. I mean, didn't. I think part of what he's saying is their overall picture like they had you know fc dallas benefits from a really nice partnership with frisco isd whereas philadelphia has philadelphia union has its own school system that is set up they are like 24 7 immersed in the club all right are you giving them a pass dan or do you feel slighted um, in any way yeah, i mean yeah a little bit of both um you know also i think you know, for years, Philadelphia Union has been like probably the most irrelevant club in MLS. Now they're actually kind of winning stuff and selling players to Europe for good amounts. It's probably good to give them a little bit of the rub. The same as he'll probably do to Miami in a couple of years if, they're, um, if their academy's as good as it's supposed to be. Okay. Well, I definitely think Philadelphia is at the near the top of the teams that use the academy successfully. You know, so has been Red Bull, and so has NYCFC, and so certainly, obviously, clearly has FC Dallas. I, I definitely wouldn't have said Philly wrote the book on youth development. I know what Dan means about them having their own academy and running their own, uh, you know, school and stuff, whereas Dallas just uses Frisco ISD. So I get that part, but you know, they're definitely one of the best academy programs for sure. I I, I think you got to give them that. The whole ride the book thing, you're right, is, is silly. But, you know, I think Dallas was signing homegrowns before Philly existed. So I'm not sure that Philly wrote the book on it. Unless he's making some joke that someone actually published a book. Because <laughs> he did say literally. Oh, that's possible, I suppose. I never thought of that. Uh, okay, guys. The other thing, uh, unless you do, you guys have anything in particular you want to pimp or talk about before we no, wrap it up? Been, yeah, this is way more than I thought we were going to have. 
Uh, the one thing I wanted to remind everybody, uh, for those of you who love the FA Cup, love turning on the FA Cup and seeing all these quaint little stadiums and stuff, don't forget that the American version of that, the U.S. Open Cup, is getting ready to happen Texas-style on Tuesday, March 22nd. The Denton Diablos are hosting uh, DKSC. That is the first round of the U.S. Open Cup. If you ever want to go experience that for yourself, that would be a kick-ass place and time to go experience that. Oh, yeah, unquestionably. Yeah. Uh, the game's up at, uh, at the uh, University of North Texas uh, soccer stadium. It's at 730. And if you just go find Denton Diablo's Twitter account, they got tickets, uh, ticket information, all this stuff. Buzz retweets it all the time. Oh, yeah. I, I, I remember a couple. It's been a couple of years, but I remember going to the um, uh, uh, Riados versus Vaqueros and Riados versus other teams over there at that at the Richland yeah. field, basically. And and what a great time we had at some of those games, particularly when they would knock off, you know, USL teams that would get really pissed. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that Reales team is not holding up anymore, but, um, you know, because they're all aging. But, uh, you know, they, they had a, one of the great Open Cup stories of all time, honestly, is that club um, right up there with um, the, uh, the, the Roma. What, what's the name of that club? Dallas that, Roma. Dallas Roma, thank you. That had Dallas that, Roma, right. Made that insane cup run way back when it started also at, at UTD of all places um, playing and, uh, against Richardson Miami FC. Rockets, right? Yeah. So there's a great history in Dallas of crazy open cup runs by, by lower level teams. And maybe we'll see one with, um, you know, uh, Diablos who are the defending NPSL national champions, by the way, really, really good team and DKSC, which is a really up and coming uh, local club. So uh, that's going to be a ball. And if you can't make it, we'll have full coverage. Oh, that's true. We will. Of course. You are third degree. All right. Anything else we need to uh, discuss? Uh, you once, can mention that uh, North Texas Soccer Club's got, got wrecked by University of Tulsa. Um, oh, no. Yeah, 4-2. Um, it, it, there's a increasing signs, and I've done some burns on it, that the academy, that, that uh, MLS Next Pro, which people just call it Next Pro instead of MLS Next Pro because it's easier to say, it's going to be a lot of teams that are basically like U20 teams or U23 teams. And, and, and I think teams will end up more and more teams will get rid of their U19 team and just have a team in this thing instead. So you're going to see a lot more Academy guys there than you have in years past. And that's true of FC Dallas. They have something like 15 Academy kids in camp right now, and they can have as many as 11 on the roster and five on any given game. So I think you're going to see a high level of, integration because they only have six players on their roster other than all the academy kids and a couple of trialists okay well uh when does that season start uh at the end of the month i think end of march i think it's 22nd maybe i should have looked it up sorry Uh, don't worry about it not that it's not not too close so don't worry about it uh and they are still playing out in arlington correct yeah they have one last season on the current contract at um at um Choctaw, and it was a casino. Thank you. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> Along uh, with the uh, rugby team that plays there as well. Yeah. I kind of want to go to a rugby game. Yeah, I'm going to try to get to one. I just want to see it. more in fun in person than on TV. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, uh, when I lived in Florida, there was a Jacksonville rugby team, and we would go to those games on occasion, and they were always a blast. Um, it had a, a very, very like a uh, public park kind of feel to it. Wouldn't it was just like standing around the field, um, 
like a Mexican league Sunday league game, something like that. Peter, are you old enough to remember that there are two historically pretty good rugby teams in Dallas, Dallas rugby club and Dallas Harlequins. Yeah, Harlequins Dallas. Yeah. Harle- yes, I do remember that. Yeah. I do yeah. I, one of my friends being. from high school played for Dallas rugby club. I think it was really the yeah. Dallas rugby club basically is, uh, the Jackals. Oh, is it? Well, there oh, you go. See, okay. That's where a lot of their leadership came from. Right. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad, you know, those clubs, those two clubs have been around for a long time. As far as I know, I'm not a rugby guy, but I've been aware of them since I was in college, even as existing semi pro-y kind of things. So it's cool to see that they're getting a little more traction. Hopefully they survive. Yeah. The team struggled so far. They haven't won yet. They ne- they nearly beat Houston in the first game. Uh, See, they just got blown out by New okay. York last All week. right, let's just yeah. do this. Let's get Buzz, Dan, <laughs> and Peter together. And Dan, we can all go to a Dallas Jackals game, and Dan can teach us rugby because I still don't understand the rules, and I'd love to, and I like that's, watching it. That's fine. I used to play at a decent level. Wow. Uh, whoa. Listen to you. Learn something new every day. Pictures. Picture didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot of pictures of me. Doing anything as a kid? Oh, <laughs> it was the nineties. We didn't have camera phones. He was unloved. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking about that today. I was like, I was talking about uh, to somebody about how I used to go to the Ranger games in high school for two dollars and sit in the bleachers. And I was like, man, how come I don't have any pictures of me and my buddies in the bleachers? <laughs> you know, back in the in the eighties. I was like, man, what a miss that is. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, all right. Well, thanks, guys. This has been a good first post uh, post game one uh, recap, uh, uh, whatever we want to call it, podcast. Thingamajig. Imagine getting Ranger tickets for two dollars. <laughs> no shit. Good <laughs> lord. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny because I lived in I lived in Dallas proper, so Arlington always felt like an ocean away. I mean, it was my yeah. local team, but I you so rarely went to Arlington to go see games. I can't imagine living in Arlington and being able to go to the old Arlington yeah. stadium, that kick-ass old place, that would have yeah. been cool. Yeah. I yeah. I think the tickets in the bleachers were four bucks. And if you had a can of, I think it was Dr. Pepper, it was $2 off. So you like on Tuesdays, so you well, can go. It was awesome. It was like going to see the tornado at uh, Owenby, right? Or not yeah. Owen, yeah, wherever they used to play over at SMU back yeah. in the day, a hundred years ago before they went over to, uh, uh, to Texas stadium. Yeah, uh, and I was a little kid then, but yeah, those were. Those I only was, saw them at Texas Stadium. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. I probably saw them. Yeah, I don't think I saw them in Texas Stadium very often, but SMU was very close to where I grew up, so it was easy for us to go over there and go to those games. So you know, it's funny. I my when I was a little kid in in California, um, my dad used to take me. I thought to Santa Clara University games, but I wonder in hindsight if they were. San Jose earthquake games. I, Cause I don't remember. And I don't think he remembers either what they were. They were just, <laughs> you know, some kind of, I, uh, I'd be curious if I could figure out what it was. It was just soccer. That's all little buzz. It was. I mean, I played and he was refereeing and coaching. And so we went to some games. I mean, I'm sure I was like eight years old and don't remember hardly any of it, but Hey everyone, it's Luis dollar. Remember third degree is sponsored by soccer 90 located at Toyota stadium next to the national soccer hall of fame. Check out all of the new soccer gear that's been arriving and shop Soccer 90 for all your FC Dallas needs. All Third Degree listeners receive a 20% off their purchase when they use the code ThirdDegree at checkout on Soccer90.com. Some exclusions may apply. Thanks, guys. This has been fun. I look forward to this season. This is going to be good stuff, I think. I hope. I hope. I really, really yeah, hope. growing pains aside, it should be fun. Yeah. All right, Dan. Thank you, sir. 
things all up. I'm gonna go uh, bury my sorrows from earlier. Sorry. Know, just and plot Chelsea's demise next year in the Premier you, League. Tell your twin brother I said hello. Sod off. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Buzz. Good work, man. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. Dan, when, let me know when that stadium's getting destroyed because I would like to get to it before the new one. Definitely will do. All right, Dan, you can uh, you can take us there too. You can take us to a rugby game and a Luton game. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We will speak to you next week, hopefully after a win on Third Degree, the podcast. That Velasco kid sounds good. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third degree, the third degree never podcast. Third degree, the third degree never podcast.